0: to um, another episode of uh, SFP now, Uh, this is actually uh, episode uh, 26 or episode 2226 or whatever, uh, depending on how many episodes that we've actually recorded over the years, because um, one way or another we've been going since 2009. Um, Joining me as always this week is uh, Reisa. we're going to be going over the uh, last episode of Dots Who, which was Mummy on the Orient Express. Um, the interview this week is um, another one by my good friend Mark J. Gross, um, and he ha- he happened to interview uh, uh, James Darren, the one and only James Darren, who was also Vic Fontaine in the uh, you know the, the fantastic uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, he was also um, in Time Tunnel and Guns of Navarone, and God knows what else. He was in he, he, this guy's pretty much been involved. In one way or another in pretty much everything. Um, but before we get to that, um, you know, we're going to give our thoughts on the latest episode of Dot Two, um, which was Mummy on the Orient Express. So at this point, I'd like to bring Raissa on. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine, thanks.
0: Good, I, I'm doing good, so um, as soon as it's just us two again, because unfortunately Patrick's, uh, you know, he's been called away to um, another Jedi training camp, mm. as it were, and... Um, so he can't be with us this week, but you know, as soon as it's um, it's just you and me. Um, uh, what were your thoughts on Mummy on the Orient Express? Uh, was it was it a good episode, bad episode, or you know? Uh, it, it,
1: there, there are two categories: the stuff I really liked and the stuff I was just lukewarm about. In terms of the stuff I really liked, I thought the performances were brilliant. Capaldi is continuing to wow. He had me at jelly babies in a cigarette case. Um. He's absolutely wonderful. Um, Frank Skinner was absolutely wonderful. The mummy was everything you could hope for as a mummy. I love that they gave him a backstory. I love that they gave him a pseudo curse. I love him that they, you know, resolved his his um, psychological issues the way that you have to with ghost stories and mummy stories, so that he could rest. I mean, they did they did everything that you're supposed to do with uh, mummy. And they did everything that you're supposed to do with, you know, the performance level stuff of all of the characters and actors. Where the episode fell apart for me was at the structural level. And there are two, uh, two different categories. There's what happened from the doctor's POV, and then there's what happened from Clara's POV. Uh, to start with the doctor, let's do a thought experiment. Let's substitute Ten and Donna. 412 and Clara. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that they get on the, the Orient Express right after the Agatha Christie episode because Tan is so psyched up from that that he decides to make a long weekend of it and just do a theme weekend and treat Donna to the Orient Express in space. And so they're on they're on the train and she's in her little flapper dress and everything is the same. The, uh, the, the crew is the same. The engineer is the same. The mummy is the same. The, the threat is the same and it's just Ten and Donna. Ask yourself a question. What would have been different? In my mind, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. That storyline would have played out exactly the same way. Major difference is that Ten would have emoted. He would have shed tears. He would have sorrowfully pressed hands as he sent X number of them off to their deaths before he figured it out. And after he did that, one of the people on the train, if not more than one, would have turned to him and said, do the crocodile tears justify that you sent people to their deaths, you know, suspecting that, that this was what this was and that somebody was getting you on this train?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the answer <clears throat> to that would have been No. And it it highlights the fundamental problem that they didn't really deal with in this episode or in any other episode yet, um, despite the fact that the doctor has been called on his shit, which is that the doctor is kind of uh, damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. The problem isn't that 12 can't access his emotions. The problem is that even when he can, someone's going to call him on that. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to question any response he gives because any response he gives it's, is going to be inadequate relative to whatever the threat is at any given time
0: yes yeah, it's, it's, it's you know you know to uh, put a spin on it the doctor is kind of like the artistic person in the room yeah you know as in you know so like he's he's kind of like functioning on a whole different level to to everyone else and you know it's um uh, you know, probably not always cognizant of the uh, of perhaps the consequences of the uh, of, of, of of the, the emotional, like turmoil that everyone else is going through around him.
1: No, so even when he tries to be cognizant, he's going to go about it in ways that other people are looking at this like, What the hell? And so, I think what's happening with 12 is he's come to terms with that and he's realizing that even if he sugarcoated it, the sugarcoated response would catch hell for him and so whatever he does it's not worth it so he might as well just do nothing and just get on with it.
0: Yeah I mean I, I thought uh, you know I thought Frank Skinner uh, did an amazing job I mean I've never really seen him in that much really um, mm-hmm. from, from an acting standpoint because he's actually more of a stand-up comedian and uh, and, and, and TangoVision show host here in the UK. Yeah. You know, he's, not yeah. Really, he's not really known for acting and, and stuff. So
1: I, th- I thought it was adorable. And I, I thought it was adorable in the, uh, in the Doctor Who extra for the episode. He said, you know, I, I know that my character had to turn the Doctor down, but I was like, can, can we at least do a scene where I say yes, even if we don't film it? <laughs> because he was just so happy to be on the
0: TARDIS. <laughs> He's such a fan. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, Frank Frank Skinner in, in this country took over a show from Paul Merton, um, another British comedian, uh, called Room 101. Mm. And he had a guest on uh, Room 101. Um, I can't remember her name, but she used to do some cookery show here in the UK. And um, I think it was Fern... It was Fern Britain. It was mm. Fern Britain. She... And she, she asked to put Doctor Who and Science Fiction in Room 101. Mm. And Frank Skinner, with him being the show host, he had final decision. He vetoed her. Oh. You know, so he, he, he sort of like, uh, he refused to put Doctor Who and Science Fiction in Room 101. And, and i I, I got to imagine, you know, when I seen that episode, I kind of woot. Because, yeah. you know, to be honest, for me, Science Fiction and an episode of Doctor Who is more interesting than an episode of Ready, Steady, Cook which yeah. is basically what she did mm-hmm. um and um you know so 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 i thought you know i knew right then and this was a couple of years ago i knew right then that frank skinner was a doctor who fan mm-hmm. you know and yeah. um you know so like it's um it, it, and and it's great when you get cer- certain certain celebrate you know c- celebrated uh personalities in the uk that 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 can sort of like come out unabashedly and say that they are Dot 2 fans or, or do stuff like that yes
1: yes
0: you know whereas Alexander Armstrong who was in Dot 2 a couple of, couple of years back um, is not a Dot 2 in science fiction fan no he's not
1: but he was good as Mr Smith mm-hmm. well <laughs> you know
0: it's, 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 he was basically playing himself ah as, as Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Minger on the other hand is a huge science fiction fan. Yes, huge, huge. I'm, I'm, I've, actually, I've actually met Ben Minger and had a little chat with him about, uh, about Thunderbirds and stuff like that. was a really, really great guy. Really, really, really nice guy. Mm. Um, he, he's sort of like he's kind of one of the, one of these people that I've never actually had an opportunity to interview, but would love to, mm-hmm. you know, because he's he's done so much great work. You know, away. You know, because basically, Ben Minger is actually. Uh, I don't know if you actually know this, but in the UK, Ben Minger actually had a show with Alexander Armstrong called Armstrong and Miller. I,
1: I knew it. I haven't seen it, but I knew about it. And,
0: and it's kind of like a television sketch show sort mm. of thing, so and and yet the two the two the two the two people couldn't be couldn't be any more different you tried but they they would work well together mm. cool but, but i am kind of like um, i like the uh, mummy on the orient express um i just i just think it could have done with being perhaps a little bit longer
1: yeah i i, too... I like the mummy on the orient express part the like the the standalone part um where it fell apart for me again was again the the underlying assumptions in, in the in the doctor and and also um, the fact that Clara um, circled back around to uh, being on the TARDIS again so quickly—it's like she has she's had several opportunities now to walk off the TARDIS logically and or, TARDIS logically and, or, and organically, mm-hmm. but the, but they, they found a way to get her from A to B back to A again because Moffat has to serve has to service arcs.
0: Yeah, but I think that's kind of going to come to a head in the next episode. Um, it
1: it might because I, I get the feeling that once she takes the uh, once she takes the sonic screwdriver and tries to be the Doctor in the next episode, she's going to run up against some, some serious
0: stuff. I mean, I've seen the tray I've seen a bit of the training for it, and uh, Pete Capaldi's going. Don't you dare! Don't yeah. you dare! And, uh, yeah. and that's that's a really that's my really bad take on his accent because I can't do yes. I can't do Scottish accents. So um, my
1: my apparently next week he's going to be sidelined and she's going to have to pretend to be him. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be that's going to be interesting. Um, that
0: that will be interesting. kind of like the Doctor Donner all, all over again.
1: Yes. Yes. Um... Yeah, but I I just, the biggest problem I have with Clara is that she's had several opportunities now to logically walk away and she hasn't because they need to, they need her, they're, they're prolonging it for no good reason except the arcs. At this point, mm-hmm. and and that kind of bothers me at a, at a structural level.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of like, um, you kind of you kind of sat there thinking, um, you know, is she still with the doctor because maybe, perhaps, she doesn't feel complete without him. You know, with, with, with this Clara just being a fragment. Yes. Of many fragments.
1: Yes. Like, so so I mean, I, I, and this, and, this and, and, and you know, in terms of servicing the arcs, now we can segue to the arcs. Um, it's totally Missy who arranged for that whole shebang on the train. Absolutely. Um, you know, she's probably the Rani.
0: I, I think most likely the Rani, more the so Rani now than the Master, because the Master's always been about will domination and um, and stuff like that. Whereas the uh, Rani kind of liked to uh, play with her food before she ate it. Yes. Um, I mean. She 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 liked to experiment. She, she liked the idea of of a. Uh, of humans or whatever, her subjects are being kind of like gerbils running around in a maze.
1: Yes, what's interesting about that, especially keeping Clara around, the upside of keeping Clara around, is that putting the impossible girl portion of this aside, if she's confronted with the Ronnie, she will see a creature who is every bit what she accuses the Doctor of being, for real.
0: Probably, probably even more so. Uh, but even I, more so. But, but I and... had another thought, um, and, and I can't remember the name of the character now, but there was a, there was a, there was a, there was a female character who was sort of like a time lordy that went up against Peter Davison's daughter.
1: Ah. Um, uh... she,
0: she was always actually mentioned, but I don't think we actually ever seen her. I'm not remembering. Well, well neither am I. So, like, I actually read something about it the other day, um from from an old synopsis for an old peter davison episode but but i've actually forgotten you know what Mm -hmm. it was but it was kind of like a female sounding name and um from from what i remember reading about it is you know they had that sense of omnipotence about them Mm
1: -hmm. the the one issue i have is that if this is the ronnie she called him her boyfriend the ronnie that we remember from the two episodes we've seen couldn't stand him (laughs) So there's either been a retcon, or there's been a lot of a lot of blood and regenerations under a lot of bridges, mm-hmm. because because that's been a, a, that'll be a massive shift if she is in fact running. But such is life. Um, it could
0: even be Romana. Who's it gone could be back. Romana
1: who's gone completely south, which could be interesting in its own right. Um, I kind of I kind of have issues with that because uh, Lala Ward is still alive, and I feel like if she's still alive, she needs to play the role if she can. Mm. Um but again, uh such is life. Um, in terms of the impossible girl arc, the impossible girl arc being in force is the only way to explain Clara's addiction or addiction allegory because if we if we take the arc away and we just look at that at face value, it makes her look like an addict and it makes the doctor look like her enabler um, an enabler and a masochist mm-hmm. so the only way to salvage both characters is if they're if the arc is still in play because otherwise it's just ugly mm. and I don't and I don't know that Moffat would want to go there so um yeah. I,
0: I I, I, I personally think that Moffat's actually dragged this arc out a little bit longer uh, this year because he knew that they were going to have all 12 episodes back to back.
1: Yeah, yeah. And,
0: you know, and to, and to be honest, I think it's actually a, a little bit of a miscalculation on his part dragging it out as long as he has.
1: Yes, precisely because there have been no less than four organic opportunities for her to leave. Mm-hmm. E- episode, episode one, at the beginning, where she, she could have just said... No, I'm not going to take the change. I'm sorry. I know you probably think less of me, but I have to go. Episode four, when she meets Danny. Episode six, when their relationship progresses. And episode seven, when she was just fed up. All four of those opportunities were opportunities.
0: And, and also, you know, the, if you notice at the beginning of this last episode, uh, you know they were going on about as if it was going to be their last adventure together. And all of a sudden, towards the end, she saw that like, conveniently change in her mind. Yes. You know yes to... and
1: and and I mean the, the, whole, the whole thing is awkwardly structured and overly convenient and the only way to justify it without damaging the characters is to say that there there's something going on arcwise with the impossible girl
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and I, I really hope that's the case because if it isn't the case I'm gonna lose respect for a lot of writers
0: mm-hmm yeah, you know the uh, apparently uh, the, the, you know you, you actually sent me this a while back, but the writer that actually wrote um, Mummy on the Orient Express is actually uh, is actually involved in in a new sci-fi show now. That's that that's kind of being rebooted. Yes,
1: um, he's um, which one was it? I can't remember now.
0: Oh God! I think it was something. It was the Something Chronicles, which uh, basically uh, oh
1: the Herlitt Chronicles. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it, but I I sent it to you because I knew it was. It, I read that it was based on a, on a British comic, and so I thought it was important for you to see it.
0: It's actually a British comic that I've never actually read oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm about as, I'm, I'm about as uh, knowledgeable as you are on it, and I've uh. not even seen the original sci-fi that the original sci-fi channel series either No,
1: um, so. I always skipped
0: it. I knew it when it was on, but I never stayed up for it mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so so basically if you so if you smart so this last episode out of ten, what would you give it?
1: Um, I would give it um, I would give it an eight for story, in, just because of the mummy stuff, and a six or seven for just overall flow in the arc.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know, judging by that, I was kind of generous with my marking for it. You
1: were. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't want to say anything because I because I figure it's subjective, and you probably just enjoyed it. More than I did, which, which is fine.
0: Mm, I, can't, I kind of just enjoyed the fact that we had a mummy on the Orient Express and we had the that was, Express. That was pretty
1: awesome. Oh, oh by the way, I should mention while we're on the topic, um, I, while Fox's cover of Queen's Don't Stop Me Now isn't worth much in the grand scheme of things, the video that they did for the full version of the song, which they put on the website, features uh, scenes from episodes that haven't aired yet.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really interested in it because... Uh, to be honest, um, it's vandalism of queens don't stop me now, and it know, is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. I mean, I'm not. Uh, you know, nothing against Foxy's, Uh She, 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 she does have a pretty good singing voice and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just, I just don't like. You know, I don't even like Queen's own rearrangements of their songs. I don't, I don't even like the whole, you know, We Will Rock You song, like, theatrical musical theatre sort of thing.
1: Mm.
0: You know, so, you know, so as far as Queen's concerned, I'm purist, you know. Queen, yeah. Queen was Freddie Mercury, Brian May, John Deacon, Roger Tamer. And that, mm. that, 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 to me, is Queen. Uh, anything else after that uh, just isn't Queen.
1: okay, mm. okay. You know, okay. So,
0: so I'm 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 just kind of a purist in 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 that sense, I guess, and you know, so you you could have you could have someone really 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 good, yeah, do a Queen cover, um, you know, like George Michael. I think George Michael actually did a pretty good damn cover of a uh, of, of of you know of of what he, what he did back in at the Night Queen concert, you know, where, mm. where they which was to raise money for AIDS awareness uh, back in the nineties. Yeah. You know, he did a damn good good cover of, of, of a song with Lisa Stansfield, and I actually liked that, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as good as what Freddie, Brian, Roger and John Deacon did. No, no. You know, and, and you know, and and I kind of, uh, because Freddie Mercury and Queen was such a big part of my childhood, I, I just have, I have great difficulty re- reconciling the fact that people are gonna cover their songs and stuff like that, you know, mm, and mm, I understand, and and I have a lot of difficulty kind of enjoying, you know, when when people cover their songs and mm, stuff like yeah. that. So it's 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 just it's just one of those things, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and, so I'm like, um, and, and to be honest, I, f- I just didn't see the point in having foxes in the episode.
1: No, um, although the song itself, Don't Stop Me Now, um, is thematically apt, if you listen to the lyrics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it, it does it does actually fit, but, you know, it's it, it's it's a, a rearrangement of a Queen song, so I don't <laughs> yes, like <true>. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, no, it's, it's a bit like um, I don't know yeah I know, it's, I know. It's, it's kind of hard to find a comparison <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of those things um but I, I did enjoy the overall episode I, you know so sort of like um, aside from the um, aside from the, the the issues that you had with it mm-hmm. which I, I probably shared to sort of a certain degree I kind of just watched the episode and I wasn't really that focused on it I was more I was more I was, I was just sort of like thrilled but it was on the Orient Express, and we had a mummy, yes, <laughs> and yes. stuff like that. Because I, yeah. I, it, it kind of took me back to a to, to the thing at Pyncheonthorpe in, term, in, in terms of the visuals. Yes, For yes. The, for, um, for a Doctor Who episode. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I thought, why is this ending? You know, when I started having trouble with it was when was when song like, uh, was when it was actually revealed that, you know, these scientists had been brought together to uh, solve the mystery of the mummy.
1: Yeah, so I think... that I mean, while that was important for the for the Missy arc, I I did kind of, that did kind of fall flat. I, I my my biggest issue is I kind of felt apart from the stuff I've already brought up, my biggest issue with the episode in and of itself is it felt like it was several different episodes at once.
0: I think, um, I, 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 th-
1: I, I, just, I just wanted the mummy story.
0: I, I, I'm I'm say I'm with you there. I think it needed to be longer. I think it yeah. needed to be something like um, an epic dot two story in the same vein of the Tangans Wan Chiang.
1: Yes, which yeah. I which I recently rewatched because it's one of the ones I own and it's epic.
0: Yeah, even though the giant rat running through London town looks really fake.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, what can you do?
0: But you know, you had you had Jago Nightfoot in that. He he was fantastic.
1: They were, they were, yeah. and I I rewatched um, Talons of Wing Chiang* the same night that I watched uh, *Mummy on the Orient Express*, and I realized that part of my problem, in addition to what I've already brought up, is I'm I'm such a I'm such a classic purist that. In terms, in terms of the Gothic stuff, nothing can touch the Hinchcliffe era. It's like they're they're trying their are they light, mm-hmm. and um, and I wanted I wanted more Hinchcliffe and less the other stuff, which was subjectively kind of annoying.
0: Yeah, I think you know I, I don't think they could actually do, do a proper Hinchcliffe episode now uh, on Modern Dot Two because the trouble is the pacing on Modern Dot Two is so fast. Yeah, but they they'd actually struggle to do a hinging episode because you know the thing is with the hinging episodes, it relied on a hang of a lot of tension.
1: Yes, and it relied on it relied on character bits, you know, like like Floor comment commenting on. Mm-hmm. Of course, this elephant gun will work. It's made in Birmingham, you know.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> they
1: couldn't they couldn't do that.
0: He also kind of relied on the audience having the patience to actually go along with the tension and 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 the whole pretense of it as well. Yes. Yes. Um, which, you know, to be quite honest, modern television audiences, you know, just don't have the patience.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of, speaking of modern audiences, one of, my, one of my issues with the structure of the episode is it felt like it was written for the new fans it was designed largely just to get the new fans over the hurdle of here's the prick doctor yes he is suck it up mm-hmm. and and that that was important and i was glad that the doctor had his say about it but i feel like that there's a rant brewing you know Clara's had her rant but 12 hasn't had his yet
0: yeah you know so can I mean, think i think 12's rant could actually come towards the end of this next episode yeah um or you know it could even come 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 as late as the finale. Um, you know I tell you what I really want. I I, I really want for um Mister Pink to actually join the TARDIS crew. Yes, I think that yes. actually needs to happen sooner now than later. Yes, uh, maybe- because.
1: Once he once he's there, a lot of stuff will even out. Everybody's responses will even out, and there'll be an actual dialogue about a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, because so, it's, it's, it's you know because to be honest, at the moment, uh, Danny Pink is like the he is kind of like the proverbial anything in the room in in terms of the uh, the actual series thus far.
1: Yes, and according to according to spoilers I've heard, um, stuff is going to be happening with him toward the end. I don't know what, but there's a there's a preview coming out in this next um, Doctor Who magazine that will cover some of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, well before we go, is there anything else you'd like to uh, bring up? No, I think I've I think I've covered it. Mm-hmm. I think I've covered. It. Okay, well. Um... You know, the plan here initially was uh, was hoping Patrick could join us. We were going to do a, a bit of discussion on Star Wars Rebels, mm. uh, which I've recently watched, and I watched the first two episodes, and I, I just think it's a brilliant show. It's actually um, it's it's actually the closest I've seen to them doing something that's in the spirit of the original Star Wars movies. Mm, okay.
4: um,
0: and you know the new characters are you know kind of instantly likable, mm-hmm. you know yet flawed. Uh, mm-hmm. That they're, they're they're traveling around in a spaceship, which is kind of similar to the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. as in it's barely it's barely being held together. Uh, the only the only difference is is the main the main character is in the captain of this uh, of this ship is a Jedi Knight, mm-hmm. you know, and um and and he's got a young he's got a young, there's a young young character Ezra traveling with him. He's also. Uh, it's kind of like him training to be a Jedi. Mm. But you got you got other you got other likable characters as well. and it's kind of like um, the second episode, kind of gave a bit of a reveal on the um, on kind of like the Wookiee type character that they have in the show. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, you know, it gave a little bit of a backstory for him and 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 stuff like that. And there was a, there was actually a guest appearance in the, in the second episode by uh, by Anthony Daniels and. Um, and Kenny Baker. Oh, well,
1: that's wonderful.
0: Well, it was probably Anthony Daniels. Kenny Baker probably didn't have to do anything because basically, it was basically C3PO and R2D2. Mm. And I don't think Kenny Kenny Baker uh, has a high high enough pitched voice to do the uh, R2D2 beeping sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there there was a cameo by by C-3PO and R2-D2, and they they played quite a key role in in the second episode. Oh, that's sweet. You know, because they were kind of working for the Empire, but they Mm. were not working for the Empire. They were actually working for for Senator Organa.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Sort of thing, um, you know, providing Kim with intel on 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 on, the, on this uh, crew of rebels. Cool. Who, who, and and the idea of the series is that these, these this crew of rebels are actually the seeds for the rebellion against the Empire. Awesome. So it's 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 actually a pretty cool it's a pretty cool series from what I've seen of it and uh, you know I I don't really watch many ani- I don't really watch that much animated stuff mm-hmm. so you know to be honest for me to actually I've watched two episodes of this it's got to be good yes, otherwise I wouldn't yes. be sticking with it sort of thing. yeah mm-hmm. um, I, I I really liked it um well I think this is actually the ideal segue uh to uh, pass over to uh, my good friend Mark J Gross. Um, He's got a, got a great interview uh, for us with uh, James Darren, um, a.k.a. Vic Fontaine from Deep Space Nine.
2: here in maryland at the mid-atlantic nostalgia con with the very good-looking mr james darren how are you sir I'm good. you how look you wonderful Thank you. Thank we've you. seen you at many conventions you're an actor extraordinaire you've been into so many roles and my god the old days beach films the time tunnel yeah you're a singer you were vic in deep the guns space Na- nine the guns, guns of, of Navarro. Nav- Nav- yes. You have done I'm, everything. I never forget that one. That's a oh, great You movie. were
3: wonderful. Well, I have been lucky, you know. I mean I've gotten I've done I've had the opportunity to do many, many things. Yes, sir. Like like Vic Fontaine and in D S nine, like wonderful like the world. time tunnel with uh, for Irwin. Yes, sir. And uh, the Guns of Navarone and Gidget and I mean I just been very fortunate, you what are. can I say? You yes are. sure. When of you course.
2: started in this business, and you really knew, hey, I am an actor, what got you that bug, what kept you staying with the career, sir?
3: Well, I mean, I guess some of it's luck,
2: yeah. you <laughs> know. there a particular incentive that really got you well, I, into the gear towards this
1: uh, genre? I, I,
3: I just love it, I love to sing, well, you're I love, so good I love at to it. act, thank you, oh, you're kind, uh, but I think it's just something. You, if you love to do something, you do it. Yes, sir. Do you know, you and you and you and I can't think of anything else, with the exception of maybe being a race car driver. Yes, sir. You know, I could do that. I, that that I would love to do. Uh, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'd be that good because I, I ride motorcycles and wow, uh, and uh, I, I've driven at at uh, at uh, race tracks in in, uh, in in the UK. Yes, sir. At Brands Hatch and with formula cars, and I thought I was better than what I was, to be honest with you. I was pretty dreadful, to be honest with I you. I bet you were good. I, I couldn't stay on the track as well as I thought I could. Yes, sir. But but I do have a love for that. And uh, the thing, I mean, about staying with acting, I I don't know. I can't think of anything else with the exception yes, of what sir. I just mentioned, sure. that I would really like to do. I, so I, I love to act. I love to sing. I love to perform. I love live audiences. and Fantastic. I, that's that's part of being well a put. ham. Well It's
2: great to hear an actor, a ham, I'm and a an ham. actor. It's great to have I'm someone of your caliber to really say how you feel, how great it's been for well, you. Well, it's great. You've got so many fans.
3: I love relating to people. You know, I love the feed. Uh, of, so the, of, of, yeah. that, of that live audience. So
2: you coming out to doing conventions and signing your autograph and that one-on-one feedback, you must well, love that then. I'll tell you, you're great with those people. I, I, I
3: can tell you a real quick, uh, I'll make it a quick story. Sure. There, there were three people. There was Freddie Ebel, Frank Walsh, and pa- 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 Patricia Shelton. Three of my very first fans. And they were, I mean, my original, the first from from Gidget on. Yes, sir. And uh, I hadn't seen this particular person, Pat, in uh, 40 years. 40 years. She walked up to me and she said, she said, Jimmy? I said,
2: Pat? (laughs) That's so wild. And
3: she freaked because she said, she started crying actually she said i don't believe that you recognize me I said, are you kidding me first of all i was talking about you a few days ago because i remember the scrapbooks you you made for me Holy cow. And, and there she was and there she was and i am literally three or four days ago i was i was speaking That's of her amazing and and i recognized her her beautiful face, fantastic course,
2: yeah. well it's great that you're in this field a uh, couple more questions. I'm only going to keep you for three more minutes. That's right. You, you really have some great fans waiting for you. That's okay. Design. I'm having fun. I'm, okay. I'm good. a ham, remember? And, and, I I, and we love it here, too. When you were in, I'm um, going to ask about the time tunnel, uh, uh-huh. the shooting that, I heard Erwin Allen had no sense of humor, but you guys still made the best of it. Tell me a little bit about some behind the scenes you of the time tunnel, sir. I,
3: I had a real special relationship with Irwin. Yes, sir. He and I were really, I, I had a, a great love for him, and he, had a great love for me and we got on royally good so uh, as far as Irwin and i were concerned he had a he had a good sense of okay, humor good, and good. he and, and 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 i had i had a great sense of humor with him yes, when they asked me to do the time tunnel i turned it down really I turned it down a few times and then i got a, a, a call from my agent who said mr allen wants to have lunch with you I say, oh, my oh my Lord, okay. So I had lunch with Erwin in his office, and Erwin Allen is a very persuasive man, or was, I should say, and, and a wonderful, lovely man. Uh, and uh, I walked out of that office saying, I'm doing the time tunnel. What can I tell you? I mean, it's, it's so interesting. When, when I was offered Vic Fontaine. And, that was
2: my next question. And, How did you get into
3: Deep Space Nine? I turned that down three times. Really? They kept calling me, and my agent. I said, "Don't bother me. I don't want to play a singer. It wasn't it had nothing to do with Star Trek. Right, right. I, I love Star Trek, but I because don't want to.
2: You owned your own club in the Hollywood I don't. Yeah, but, a I, singer, but But yeah. but the thing is, it,
3: it's so on the nose. I yes. said, "I don't want to play. Can I play an alien? I said, "I'll play an alien. But it, so they said. So my agent said to me, after the third call, he said, "Why don't you at least give them the courtesy of reading the script? And I said, of course, I should do that. I read the script; I absolutely loved it. Ira Baer was the gentleman who wrote yes, it, sure. and, and, very the, and with the exec it. producer. Yes, we met him. Yes, and uh, who's now a very dear friend. And, and in fact, he just—I I just worked Vegas about last week, and Ira and his wife came to see the show, which Fantastic. was a, a big, big, a big thrill for me. Good. But. Uh, uh, when, when I went in to see uh, Ira, they, they like you to do cold readings and things, which uh-huh. I, I'm very bad at. So being bad at it, I don't <laughs> want to do it. You know? <laughs> if I was good, I'd do it. You know? uh, so anyway, what I had done, I had read the script, and they knew I was not going to do any cold readings. But I dressed like I thought Vic dressed. and, sure. and uh, Actually, I had a pair of shoes. There was a guy in, in Los Angeles uh, named Di Fabrizio. Uh, of course, the Italian guy sure. with that name, and um, <laughs> he better be. <laughs> he better be. And and he made shoes for Dean Martin, for Frank Sinatra, wow. for Sammy, for for Tony Orlando, for for me. For everybody you could My probably goodness. mention. Everybody. If you ever saw his shop, you wouldn't believe it. In, there, there was there was not a name up there that you didn't recognize. Unbelievable. Anyway, he had told me. He said. Uh, I went in to see him one day to try on these shoes he had made for me. And I said, He said, you know, I have a pair of Dean Martin shoes, and you guys are the same size. He said, Would you like to see them? And if you like them, you can have them. I said, Sure, of course. Wow. He brought them out, I said, Oh, Di Fabrizio. I said, They're, they're beautiful. I love them. They're Fantastic. beautiful. He said, Then you take them. You, they, you, they're for you. I said, Oh, thank you. They were the ugliest shoes you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah,
2: anymore. because they were Dean oh. <laughs> Martin.
3: They were so unattractive. I swear, you couldn't even believe it. I got in my car. and said, "Oh my!" Oh my, if wife, these yeah. weren't, if these weren't Dean Martin's shoes, I said, They'd "I'd, ne- have the br- I'd ne- yeah. never, the I, I would never have had them." But anyway, I wore those when I went to the uh, uh,
2: the, 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 yes. the meeting. Yes, yes.
3: And so I had read the script about five or six times. I just crammed, you know. So when, when I went in there and Ira Barron, there's like nine executives all talking, and you know, you so, it's such a tough meeting, and they're all like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Like this. So as I'm talking to Ira, I would say a line from the script. And I would say, my Lord, I wrote a line just like that for Vic Fontaine. I said, really? <laughs> and I went on, and I did that several times. And, and Ira kept saying, this is incredible. I swear, I, w- I wrote a line like this for Vic Fontaine. And finally, the casting guys, they went to Ira, and said, like, this guy's pulling your leg. He's reading lines from the script. And Ira finally caught on. It took him a while. I, nobody knew except the casting guys. This guy's pulling your leg. So that's, you. And that's how I got the show. That's I went home. Great. They didn't say a word to me then, but I went home. And as soon as I walked in the door, maybe... A, a minute or two. The phone rang. Was my agent? He said, "You got the part." You
2: got the part, Deep Space Nine, and yeah. you were outstanding in that.
3: I mean, anybody would have been. It's, it was such a well-written part, and I don't know. That and, really, and, I and, I, and, I and just I tend it. to
2: think it was really catered to you. I mean, what? your background, your your prowess. It was you. That role was but you. you, you was great.
3: You know, when I read it, it reminded me as as a uh, um, as a, a Dean Martin Sinatra, you, you know.
2: Sure, dichotomy that for that. Con- yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That kind of combo, You were great so. in that. What do you do to protect that voice for all these uh, all these gigs? What do you do? you know a certain theory I, or method that you? I
3: don't. I mean, I vocalize every day. Yes, sir. And um, I don't. I don't abuse my voice. Um, I mean, a, a scotch now and then doesn't hurt. <laughs> but Keep but it coded but sure. keeps it coded. <laughs> but but I, I just don't abuse my my voice. Good. I. I uh, I, I, you know. Yes, sir. God gave it to me. And it's a great gift,
2: too. Good. Thank you. Downtime. What do you like to do? People are here collecting your autograph. Are you a collector of anything? Any hobbies? Um, what do you What do you enjoy doing yourself? I like
3: sports cars and I, I, I love motorcycles. I, I actually, I haven't ridden the past uh, couple of years, but I, I, I like riding dirt bikes. I like hill climbing. and And, uh, and uh, motocross racing, Good things like you. that. Good for
2: you. Good for you. Collector of anything, though? Or well, I just
3: sold five motorcycles, so I, 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 I was collecting them for a bit, but I only <laughs> kept one. I have one left. And, um, and it's collecting dust. It, so. it, it, it's a Husqvarna. It's a <laughs> wow. it, It's a 78 or 77 250cc.
2: Uh, uh, oh, 250, I could ride that. Uh, no, a little no little
3: guy. it's pretty cool, you know, because I, I was riding a big uh, a 500cc uh, Honda, yes, sir. and, and uh, even though it's uh, it's still it was a uh, uh, two cycle, which is gas sure, and oil, sure, mixed, yeah, yeah. I, I still it was too too big a bike, too heavy a bike, yes, because you're climbing a hill, and you, you know, that on you. sometimes yeah, you don't make it, you. Yeah. well you don't want that bike coming down on you, and, oh, amazing. and, and I've had that happen to me, but yes, the 250 is big enough, I'm, I only weigh about 170, 165, there you go. so uh, I'm a 250 is perfect. Good,
2: good for you. Yeah. Last question, sure. for you personally. If you had an autograph of anyone that you just admire or liked, who would you want an autograph from, sir?
3: Well, I, I have autographs and pictures with so many great people like Sinatra and like Dean and like Amazing. Sammy and Bob Hope and wow. Jack Benny. and I mean, all, all the wonderful people. Yeah. I have them. Wow. Uh, and
2: you've met and worked with a lot of these
3: y- Yeah, sure. I mean, just... Uh, uh, I, one that I would really want uh, would be... Pablo Picasso.
2: Outstanding. Very good. Good answer. Yeah. What an artist. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, w- Indeed. I-, I
3: would love to have met him, of course. Yeah, sure. And just to have just an autograph of Pablo Great. Picasso. Great. Well
2: put. Mr. James Darren, thank, thank you. you for being here at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Con, sir. Thank you. Thank it's you, a pleasure.
3: Sir. Thank you all. Next time on the new audio adventures of Star Trek, the continuing mission.
4: I know who you are. You're Captain Paul Edwards. Why am I sitting here with you? You have something better to do tonight? I don't know what you hope to accomplish by following the doctor around Managua all night. Don't you think sneaking around like that is a little undignified? You know this stuff isn't half bad once you get used to it.
0: A little plain, isn't it?
4: plane. That's my
1: mother's own recipe.
4: That building is a brothel. I think we both know what he's doing in there.
2: Why don't you just stay here tonight? And if you want to, you can take one of these old birds up in the air
0: in the morning. I didn't know you two were fond of Nicaragua. Oh, yes. Fond.
2: Very fond. I can't feel my
1: head.
0: I would say your Bushmills does an adequate job. Aye. That
1: it does, Miss Little Nothing like a night monogamy.
0: I don't know why I let you talk me into this. Don't bruise the
1: cheese ball.
3: Right, 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 right. Only on the new audio adventures of Star Trek, The Continuing Mission, at ContinuingMission.com. Okay, engine stop. We
4: copy it down. Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as one dollar, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website, which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com, where all your questions will be answered in our Frequently Asked Questions page, and don't miss our short video presentation from some of our Space Opera series in development. I'm going to step off the ladder. That's one small step
1: for man, one giant leap for man. In a world where Hollywood stars do stupid things to
4: get publicity, she is no different. It's Margot Kidder as Maggot Kidder in... The house that dripped Maggot Kidder. (laughs) Coming to a thorn bush near you. Actually, right outside your window. Hi there, this is Robert Leeshock from Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, better known as Liam Kincaid, and you are listening to SFP Now. The fate of humanity now relies on those who dare challenge the future of Earth.
0: that's about all we have time for this week folks um hope you enjoyed the show um please come back and listen again next week um we're actually working on getting more interviews and um we'll, we'll be back next week with a, a review of the uh of the Nets.2 episode which is titled racer i've forgotten the title flatline flatline and
1: missy is back
0: okay well let's hope that the time let's hope that the episode um, is actually far better than the title <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. so that's it for now goodbye